Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Finding Annie. We are very near the end of this series. This is the penultimate episode and um, it's a great one. Surprise, surprise. Um, massive reactions to Dr. Rupi last week and our episode all about eating animals. Thank you so much for getting in touch about that. Just going to read out one uh, little bit of an email from Joanne Smith, who says, I'm 43. I've eaten meat all my life, as well as having pets growing up. Uh, it wasn't until four years ago I really started to think about the mass production of meat and the treatment of animals that comes with that. Um, all of what you discussed around what society deems acceptable to have as a pet and what is acceptable to eat really resonated with me. I remember being young and loving seeing lambs, but lamb was one of my favourite meats to eat. Uh, the part of the conversation about being disconnected from where food comes from was so spot on. The reason why I decided to give up eating meat was because I inherited a pet rat. I rat sat for five days and went from what could be uh, described as a common attitude when presented with a rat uh, to falling hard for this rat. Um, looking after the pet rat made me realise, as you touched upon with the pig, that all animals, no matter how much of a bad rep they might have or however misunderstood, are intelligent, emotional and sentient creatures and to expose any of them to brutality for our consumption is pretty sickening. So uh, that's just one bit of a very, very long email. But I like the idea of her coming around to animals after uh, rat, what, what was it? She rats at rat sitting. Uh, it's a whole new thing. Yeah, but um, thank you to everyone for that. I hope that the conversation felt balanced and not all judgy and preachy. And, um, and I hope that it helped you or just made you think in some way or shape or form. That was the whole point. This week's episode is called La Comedienne. Uh, it's about women who make us laugh. And to start it off, as always, I would like to hand over to a memory. And this is one of my oldest and best friends from the black country, as you will recognise from her accent, Reggie. Take it away. Well, the thing is, I mean, I've known you for ages and I think you're really funny. But, you know, there's always that one joke that you tell and it's always when there's when you get so excited that you spotted a new person who hasn't heard this joke. There's a new audience, and you know it's usually been when we're out, when we're all really chatty, and then somebody says you, somebody says something funny, and you're like, oh my god, have you heard this joke? Let me tell you a joke, and then you tell it. And most of the time, people do actually laugh, maybe in support of you, <laughs> but. It's 2020, babe. It's coming. I think you need some new jokes. I'll get you a joke book for Christmas. I've got to tell the joke now, don't I? You're going to want to hear this joke. Normally I'm drunk when I do this, but she is right. I roll it out every time. It's the one joke that I have in my repertoire. Uh, okay, you ready? Here goes. 
What do you call an apartment block covered in tiny little vaginas? Ready? A block of flaps. Yep. And that is why I have never pursued a career in comedy. Uh, (laughs) This episode is, however, about women who do pursue careers in comedy. Um, You can sing it to the tune of Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman if you like. Funny women, woo, walking down the street. Funny women, the kind you like to meet. Funny women. There's been two instances really that stand out when it comes to funny women, professional funny women, female comedians. Um, The first is a woman called Kelly Backman, who's an American comedian who's been a victim of sexual abuse and brought her experiences into her work by putting together this show, uh, a comedy show called Rape Jokes by Survivors. So she said she was so sick of hearing rape jokes from people who hadn't been raped and uh, she thought it would be a very healing and kind of positive thing to to kind of find a group of people who had been raped which in this case was all women and get them to come on stage and tell jokes about their 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 kind of experiences of this of this horrible thing and she said it was the most healing and wonderful thing and she's never been in a room like it with such kind of support and solidarity um so that's besides the point but that's a little backstory on her she was doing a stand-up show in new york back at the end of october called actors hour which is just like a you know a rolling show where loads of comedians come on and do their thing and um harvey weinstein was in the audience he is currently out and living normally because he posted one million dollars of bail so he's kind of awaiting his trials um and he's had some public experiences, public appearances, and that was one. So he was in the audience. She knew he was in the audience and she couldn't not refer to it. So she basically said that her job as the comic is to have to kind of declare the elephant in the room. Uh, but in this case, she said it was a Freddy Krueger in the room. Uh, she went on to talk about how she wasn't expecting to have to bring her mace to actor's hour. Um she got a lot of heckling at the time, but she said the next morning she woke up and there was a huge amount of support and solidarity and requests for media appearances off the back of it. And um, yeah, it felt like a kind of shift of power in the room. She said she had to do it. She couldn't not call him out uh, out of respect for the group of people she worked with in her show Rape Jokes by Survivors. The second instance, um, most recently that is of note, is a woman called Courtney Pong, who was hosting a comedy night at the Rosie Square Theatre in Boston uh, recently. And basically midway through the evening, decided to shut down the night. Stop it. She came to the stage, said, I don't want to don't keep doing this. Everyone in the audience can have a refund. This is not what this theatre is supposed to convey. This is not the content we want in this room. She said the audience were basically kind of hit with a barrage of persistent racist and sexist jokes. And she said it wasn't about making a judgment call on whether these jokes were funny. It was more just a basic point that, and I quote her here when I say this, no woman in the world would have felt safe in that room, unquote. It does feel like there's a there is a shift happening in comedy. Um, you know, like so many things in the arts, it is difficult for women and people of colour to break into the industry, um, let alone the transgender community. I mean, that's a whole other ball game. 
Um, the stats are predictably depressing and unsurprising. Um, you know, like I said, it's the same in every section of the arts, from the music industry to the TV and film industry to the art industry. It's all skewed towards men because that's the way it's always been. It's a vicious circle. You can't compete with men who have more writing credits or more experience on the comedy stages or places and panel shows. You can't find a producer who understands your voice. Uh, they say that there's no audience for it because it's never been done before, so no one's ever had a chance to prove it. Uh, you're the lone female in a writer's room, so it's doubly hard to thrive. You have to be twice as clever, twice as quick, twice as hard, twice as confident. Um, all these things that make it super intimidating and, and, and tough for women to kind of break through and be successful in the world of comedy. Things are changing more and more rapidly. You know, we have amazing women breaking through the world of TV sitcoms. Sharon Horgan, who's been on this podcast previously, a total trailblazer. Her protege, Ashling Bia, smashing it. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, now so big time, writing for James Bond. Imagine a woman writing for James Bond. Like, what's it going to sound like? What's it going to feel like? Also, something that happened this year of note is a woman called Saskia Shuster. She sounds like a badass villain in a James Bond film, but she's not. She's actually very high up at ITV. Um, and she is a commissioner for some of the biggest entertainment shows on ITV. And she no longer commissions anything with an all-male writing team. So, obviously, it's taking a woman at the top to make this decision and to see that there is a problem in the first place. And like all of the arts industries, we need more women in the boardrooms to empower women to thrive at their respective companies. Um, and that's beyond art. That's just the world of business, full stop. Um, it's a long fucking schlag. But I would like to use this episode and, and this whole week to celebrate the funny women and the women who are sassy and sharp and who kind of bring their pain and their emotions into their work in the most brilliant way. Um, and uh, to help me do that, I would like to introduce to you a lady called Alice Levine. So Alice is my colleague at BBC Radio 1, but she's, she's way more uh, than her radio career. She is a TV presenter. She's done all sorts of TV. She's most recently did a documentary called Living with the Far Right. So that kind of gives you a, a, a view of how kind of far she can go in terms of the content that she works with. Um, she is a documentarian, she is a writer, she is a radio presenter and most kind of famously recently she is one third of one of the biggest podcasts in the world uh, which is called My Dad Wrote a Porno. Uh, you probably are aware of it, if you aren't it's about uh, a bloke who is Alice's friend in real life whose father decided to write a porno and it's Alice and her two friends sitting kind of reading the porno out loud and just laughing at it in a very funny and sharp way it's side-splittingly funny this and it's kind of very addictive because you get hooked into the narrative um, it's clever in so many ways which is pretty much Alice Levine actually clever in so many ways also tremendously humble uh, as you will hear in this conversation but yeah I was so happy to get a chance to sit down with her and um, we talked about all sorts of things from her being a guest on panel shows to um, her favourite comedians to how to write uh, to getting the impetus and the confidence to write and then at the end I feel like I really bullied her into writing a sitcom I feel a bit bad about that one anyway let's begin Enter the podcast, Alice Levine. 
We are here in a very fancy meeting room in central London. Outside is a not very fancy building site um, with some sporadic drilling. Chainsaw. Uh, Alice Levine, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I arranged it especially for you. This... Yeah, I feel right at home. This is wonderful. Thanks. Um, okay, so you are here. <laughs> Just Under in, false pretenses. In case you didn't know, right? <laughs> you said you want to have lunch and now, <laughs> and now you're here. <laughs> well, you're busy. You always slag me off for being busy. You are one Don't busy lady, give babe. give me that. I once heard yeah. that Jamie Oliver divides his time into 15 minutes segments that's mm-hmm. how you book him you're worse than that you're like seven and a half minutes and and maybe i don't know half of that is uh scheduling the next meet yeah you're we should, you're phenomenal can we t- can we tell the story of the pods because it's one of my favorite stories ever so um our mutual friend kate is a highgate or ham- i should say Hampstead ponds uh ladies ponds a- advocate still going by evangelist She's still, still going. going it's five, yeah, five degrees, degrees there now yeah, yeah. Um, and so she said, oh, well, Annie really wants to go and you like going there. Let's all go on a girl's date and go uh-huh. swimming there. Obviously, you were sort of a day and a half early and no, I was about a day and a half late. No, obviously, I was on time. <laughs> on time. I'm, I'm, my punctuality is terrible. I hold my hands up. It's awful. Um, Kate was like, oh, don't worry. Alice is always late. I'm like, oh, well, what's the other? Do we wait for her? Because I'm not very good at waiting. So we got in. You got in. So then by the time that I got in, you were over it. Uh, and well, you were- I'm a shit swimmer. Yeah. So I was kind of like really weak. So I was kind of like proper huffing and puffing. <laughs> and I was holding on to a life boy, right? Which is what I like to do for my little rests around the lake. And you arrived, kind of floated in. And <laughs> I, mean, I waved, I was generous. really happy to see you. So I kind of waved at you from the life boy. So I had one arm on the life boy, like huffing and puffing, red face, and one arm waving. And the lifeguard was like, are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, Yes, I'm fine. I'm just saying hello to my friends. Because they're quite officious. They're, yeah. they're extremely um, effective, but they're kind of, I mean, I didn't go to this kind of school, but I imagine what the PE teachers at a girls' school would be like. They're quite strict, yeah. um, but you want their respect yeah. and their adoration. Um, and she said, she told you that that was the international sign for distress. <laughs> And we were like, but it's also the international sign for hi, how are you? So you can see where we went wrong. I basically got reprimanded in front of the entire yeah. lake. Yeah. And all the swimmers felt like such an idiot. We were all laughing at you, yeah. And then you came in and then we had one one swish lap. We did. And then you went, I'm going to float for two minutes. And we were like, okay. <laughs> Annie Max scheduling a float. Um, and then, yeah. And then you were gone. But that was the and thing then when I got you up were gone. Yeah. So I, well, then it's like, how long do I, I don't know how long you're going to be. You I don't want to rush you. I didn't know if your clothes were sort of like sort of <laughs> full Monty style Velcroed, but your clothes were on within seconds. And then you waved and then you were gone. Uh, and our friend Kate was like, yeah, she'll be on to the next meeting. She's probably got a Heath, a Heath meetup, but meters away. I was like, sure. I know, I fully respected it. I was just like, I just wish I had that kind of efficiency. So listen, I want to talk to you about comedy um, in general. Who is the first uh, woman that you remember seeing and laughing your head off at? Um... Probably Jennifer Saunders. <gasps> French and Saunders were, yeah, a big one. And also because they, um, they just seem to be having such a good time. And I think that that's what I'm really drawn to is when people, when when people are on, kind of on the brink of corpsing, or you feel like what they're doing for their act is sort of just inches away from what they would be doing, even if they weren't performing for other people. You know that kind yeah, of thing yeah. of like. You, you're getting an insight into what they would just do with their mates. Yeah. So yeah, I do. Jennifer Saunders definitely made me howl. And then later on, Julia Davis is just a massive 
she's a massive comedy pinup. But I, I kind of, when you asked me to do this, I was a bit worried because you were like, we'll talk about funny women. And I was like, yeah, but I kind of feel bad claiming that I'm a comedian or that I you work are a in comedy. That's being, but, you're being a woman. That, you are a comedian. You're being a woman? You're fucking hilarious. <laughs> Don't you dare say that to me ever How again. How dare being a you woman. be a woman, <laughs> Alison? But no, what I mean is like, I think that, well, I'm really interested in this and in exploring this with you because it's something I wanted to ask you about the idea of comedy and stand up and when do you become an official funny person? Like when you obviously start making money out of it, which you are very much doing mm-hmm. with your with your podcast. But like, I would consider you a comedian. Oh Lord, okay. you don't you you wouldn't call yourself that. I guess it's that thing of you feel like you need to pay your dues to be a comedian. Like I haven't toured I haven't done that you've toured the world you've done out Royal Albert Hall making people laugh sure but I feel yeah maybe I am just reluctant because I think it's one of those things like the difference between calling yourself a cook and a chef like I've never done my time in hot kitchens and you know been at the pass and done 150 you know sittings or whatever um so the the comedy thing, yeah, definitely being funny is something that is hard to say because I always think that that's one of those things that's really subjective and you feel like you're not allowed to say it yourself. You have to wait for somebody else to say, oh, they're funny. There's something inherently, I don't know why with funny stuff, but there's something inherently arrogant somehow about claiming that you're funny. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I like that there's people laughing in the background <laughs> as you say that. Uh, She's hilarious. <laughs> laughter is just, yeah. But yeah, I no, I get that. But then you could say that sometimes I make people laugh because there's different than being like, hey, I'm hilarious. Yeah. I get, I get it with anything like, you know, self declarations of your own talent is awkward, but as an English person, a hundredfold. Yes. But um, having seen you, last Friday or a couple of Fridays ago, the Women in Music Awards. Mm -hmm. There's something about how your brain works that is so quick and so sharp. I'm so envious of it because there's people people where that comes just so naturally, like those kind of, and obviously that's what you do in porno in your your podcast, like the whole time, Mm -hmm. but just seeing it on on the fly, because so much of what you did was on the fly and not scripted. Like when did you, or if you ever have, kind of think, mm, I can make people laugh. Yeah, it's interesting you use that example of that awards thing, because actually that's sort of my favorite thing to do because it's ephemeral and nobody's gonna watch that back or scrutinize it. So mm. there's actually a freedom in that, a bit like radio where you mm. kind of think, people, there's an expectation that this is for the moment. You can be completely reactive. Exactly, mm. and also with those awards, nobody's coming to that expecting it to be laugh a minute. They're like, we're gonna, award some cool people and honor some great mm. women that work in music and the laughs are sort of a bonus. So again, that's really freeing. So mm. I think anything that has that um, safety net, mm. I think that's why I get scared of the comedian or, or funny person tag because already expectations are built really high. I see, yeah. But the first time, I mean, I think to do the job that we do, even if you aren't, um, I don't know, on paper, an extrovert, you have to have a bit of a show off tendency and you have to like the feeling of showing off and people responding really well to that. So I think when I was a kid, I think I was definitely precocious. I think I really liked words and playing with words. And I also really liked that feeling of people thinking that you were old for your age, I guess. Mm. 
You know that thing of like when you eat an olive when you're like seven and they're yeah. like, you like olives? And you're so like, wow, thanks, yeah. <laughs> um, it was kind of that. I, I sort of liked showing off and people being impressed, which sounds so gross. <laughs> but I do remember, I just remember that feeling yeah. good. actually read an article about how it's so much easier for females in comedy in the US because of the amount of those um, comedy institutions institutions where you can go and learn improv and it's so much more of a kind of um, opportunistic place to be as a female comedian and comedy writer yeah than the UK which they're still like hugely underrepresented like when I read the stats I was like boring same (laughs) as music it's like it's like exactly what you would expect all the stats are scarily like weighted um, towards yeah. men. You've done the panel show things, and I know there was a lot of controversy Oof. on that recently in terms of yeah. underrepresentation. And it felt like the producers were like, oh shit, better get some women. Mm. And it's like, mm, hello, which maybe yeah. could have thought of that before. But what I, I feel like there's a kind of, um, this is total hypothetical, spontaneous thinking, by the way, so this might not make sense, but there's, there's a lot of parallel between the idea of a kind of the music, the muso guy, who's like the guy in the record shop with the beard who knows <laughs> the B-side from the set in 1976. That white label, am I right? Yeah, it's always a that. man. It's always a man. Mm-hmm. Similarly with the kind of the, the funny guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's kind of a default um, prototype for who, sure. who this type of person is, um, which is probably why the panel shows were kind of weighted towards men because it's just there's just a lot more of them being like, I'll do it. Whereas I can feel like it might be an intimidating place for a woman. I found it incredibly. I mean, I I haven't done very many. Um, I find it really intimidating, partly because what you're doing is writing jokes and I don't write jokes. Mm. Um, and also because- yeah, but it should be what, what you're amazing at, which is witty, sharp retorts, but it's all pre-scripted. A lot of it's scripted and a lot of it isn't collaborative. And I think I'm so much funnier with um, stimulus or with somebody to bounce off of. So I think when everybody's just doing their bit and they don't want to play with you, I find that really hard when everyone's kind of just like, and then the dog ate my homework and everybody applauds and then it's your turn. I find that that sort of compartmentalized way of doing it really hard. And also all those people on panel shows are comedians that have done the circuit, done- And have rehearsed routines. Yeah, and that's a skill that they've honed for 15 years and 20 years and more. So I can see why- coming into that as somebody who hasn't done any of that you know it kind of should be hard because it is a skill Mm. but it's just not one that necessarily I what did you which ones did you do I've done eight out of ten cats many years ago and I remember because it felt like a really big thing because I'm as just you know as discussed not I was I was definitely a presenter not a comedian and they said oh you can go in this new comedian seat so that felt like a bit of a mm. um a bit of a vote of confidence and I had to audition quite a few times to do it wow I had no idea yeah I had to do t- two or three I think to to get to it one of which was a sort of um just a, a run through in a in an office room with Jimmy chairing um that was the one before we did the real thing okay and then they give you this massive pack of stuff to um, to read up on, which I actually kind of would like delivered to my house weekly so that I can stay abreast of yeah. current affairs, to be honest, uh, and pop culture. Um, so it's, yeah, this, um, this dossier that you can prepare stuff on or should prepare stuff on. 
I just found the whole thing so blindingly intimidating that I think I, they, and they kept saying to me, we'll look after you in the edit. So like, don't worry if there's yeah. something that doesn't land or something that, you know, you're not happy with. It just won't make it in because we, we only want the best stuff. And I was like, that makes sense. You know, why would they, we yeah. record for three hours. They only need whatever yeah. it is, half an hour, 45 minutes. Um, but they can't look after you in the edit if you only say three things in three hours. I think at the beginning I was like, they were like, analysis with us. And I was like, Ugh. and like, <laughs> a thing fell out of my throat, but I don't know what it was. Then partway through, Jimmy said, you know, like, oh, and we're talking about this thing. You've done that right, Alice. And I was like, yes. <laughs> that, made it, that made it in. Uh, and then at the end, I laughed at something Carol Vorderman said, boom, you know, in the can. But I was just completely petrified. Yeah, fair. And, and also I don't like shouting to be heard. Like I don't, I don't have but I that. I think that's a unique, no, okay. I can't keep bringing it to females, but I do think that that's quite a, Think, inherently female thing. A gender yeah, thing. we are happy to sit and stand back and like that's a common thing. <laughs> well, I remember it might be an Alice thing, but it's also <laughs> it's an Alice being a woman thing. Sure, no, I'm sure you're right. And I remember at the time, um, my boyfriend at the time came and sat backstage, and he was like, "I was just willing you to say something." <laughs> he was like, he was watching the clock, and he was like, "Half an hour, forty-five <laughs> minutes, an hour," because you're just and waiting. then and then it gets too long. Yeah. So then if you do say something, it's too much of a it's big deal. It's gotta be great. It's just like I'm just gonna not say anything for the rest. Yeah. yeah. Unless they just thought I was. Um, I, I just remember watching it back and I just had this like slightly glazed expression on my face. So maybe they just thought I was having a lovely time and enjoying <laughs> what other people were saying, but oh my God. So that was not the best first experience, but you did no. go back. I've never been back on that show. I've done, I did Buzzcocks when that was on. I've done a few where yeah. it feels like they are more geared to, um, to kind of riffing rather yeah. than jokes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really liked, there's a, there's a show that I feel like should get more props because it's such a good format, which is um, as yet untitled, Alan Davis's show, yeah. which is on Dave, I believe. But it's just a really nice format. It's just four or five people sat around the table exchanging anecdotes. Yeah. And everybody kind of gets their moment to tell their story. So you yeah. don't feel on the clock. Yeah. And then everybody kind of picks and it apart. And it's democratic. Yeah, yeah, it just yeah. feels like, you know, you have breathing space. You're on tour and you're doing these massive venues all over the world. How do you rehearse to make those moments happen? Well, I find that really hard because on the podcast, we don't. On the podcast, it is just all... The podcast was kind of... Um, set up in a way for us to all shine because we because we weren't comedians in a way. So it's set up that we record for two hours for a 40 minute show because we kind of have that buffer then. And none of us wanted the, I suppose none of us wanted the glory of the joke landing. We all just wanted it to be funny. There's no yeah. competition yeah. really between yeah. the three of us. Which is such a really important place to start. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And because we're all pals and we've been friends for a really long time, I think that was just inbuilt. Mm. And so we, so even though we didn't talk about it, the way it came to being was like, right, if we just sit around and riff, there'll be so much shit and there'll be some good stuff too. And if we've got more than double what we need, then we can just- Yeah, that's genius out. recording and, for that most of the time. And the benefit of the edit, I mean, is mm. just, when you go back to live radio after doing that, you're like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually the, the, for the new live show, this is my dad wrote a porno as the name. So this is the new show. tour. Uh, the new tour, That's yeah. starting, what, next year? The world uh, tour. January, How yeah. many dates? Uh, how many dates? Oh gosh, I don't know. 
30, 50, I actually don't know. And it's genuinely world tour. So, and, and what, you've done like Sydney Opera House and We're stuff. We're starting again in Sydney Opera House before it closes for two years. It's so just big, this is like the biggest live podcast that's ever happened, right? Like you would take that. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know yeah, if I can verify that. I don't know that. of any others that have ever done that. I mean, our biggest one will be um, Radio City Musical oh, in New York, which is, I think- Fucking hell. Six and a half thousand or something, which is- I mean, it's going to be amazing with just our families in it and then the rest <laughs> empty. It's going to feel really special. Honestly, though, it's mad. Did you ever think, like, I listened to the first series, like, yeah. over the last week or so, and just, like, it, you can, like, you know, you were saying at the start of the podcast about when you can hear people just, like, finding it themselves so fucking hilarious. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think we find it funnier than anyone. Yeah. yeah. So, like, when you were doing that, and it was obviously for the joy of it and you're still doing it for the joy of it of course but it's become a, like a huge yeah, thing yeah, yeah. did you ever think did you like I I Radio City uh, Music Hall I definitely didn't think that when we had this idea or when Jamie brought us the book and we you know died hearing him just read us the book in the pub yeah I think <laughs> if I'm honest like I thought this is really good. Like yeah. I knew the books were really good. Mm. And it was at a time when, I mean, of course there were loads of podcasts, but it was five years ago. It still felt new. And it felt like yeah. an exciting time to make one. And we were even showing people on their phones what the purple button was, you know, where podcasts yeah. were and stuff. Yeah. So it just felt like this kind of, I don't know, this fortuitous moment. Mm. So in, in that sense, I was like, I really feel like we're striking on something good here. And when we told people about it, they seemed really excited about mm. it. And I hadn't heard of anything like it, but no, I had no idea it would take off as it has. But, you know, James and JV used to tell me off because I thought it was really good. And there's not much of stuff that I have my, you know, hands on, for one of a better phrase, um, that I don't feel cringy about acknowledge you know mm. like I just yeah, find yeah, it yeah. so uncomfortable yeah. to look at stuff that I've made back and yeah, listen yeah. again and yeah, yeah. watch things again um and I used to listen to it and think it was really good yeah. and that's obviously a really um sort of narcissistic thing to not admit to a, but not but no, no that's not <laughs> it's just it's but, but also it's you know two people that I think are really funny as well because yeah. I think that they're hilarious so I remember them saying like, please, please don't listen to it on the tube. If people see you listening to your own podcast, that's mortifying. <laughs> and I was like, no, but I'm listening to your bits. Have you ever considered doing anything like writing comedy, writing sitcom? Like if you think about the Ashling Beers, uh, Sharon Horgan's, the Lena Dunham, like it feels like there's been a really exciting shift. I actually saw an interview with Julia Davis where she was talking about how fucking just exciting it is seeing these kind of autonomous women coming through, getting given shows. Surely you should be doing that. Come on. Well, when you mentioned, I know, when you mentioned it earlier, did I ever think about doing stand up or doing any of those things? I think it's because I'm a bit of a coward that I've never done any of those things. So I've never done stand up or sketch comedy or written comedy or, I mean, we we write my dad wrote porno in a sense, you know, we, yeah. we improvise the improv. jokes. Yeah, yeah. But um, I think it's that thing of, 
I haven't failed at it yet because I haven't had a go at it yet. Mm. But I also don't really know how you go about it. I mean, I know you just put pen to paper. That's, I mean, because Sharon Horgan did this podcast and that was one of the things I wanted to ask. I like, love that. Episode. Where does it begin? Yeah. Like, do you have a whiteboard and like make up a character? Like, how do you start writing a sitcom? Like, do you start with a character that you just really like and let them go? Like, it's, I'm just so fascinated by the process of where it fucking starts. Yeah, because her productions just feel so... Um, they just feel like they've always been in your life, don't they? They don't mm. feel, you know, the characters in Catastrophe don't feel written, which yeah, is, which is uh, the, the, magic, the, the, yeah. the magic and the trick. Um, yeah, it's a really tricky one. I was actually, I, I did that Travel Man show, you know, with Richard Iowadi, yeah. who is one of the funniest people. One of the, he's in, insanely smart, which mm. I think is helps. well known. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely helps. And is really funny, but he's really dry. Mm. And um I kind of kept checking in that like everything was right because I feel like I'm such a head girl that needs, you know, constant mm. encouragement. And he r- really jokingly was like, Alice, if you're looking for approbation, this is not the production for you. <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, no, but please, like, I know you're joking, but I actually do need it. And we started talking about um, films. He's a massive, massive film buff. And yeah. so we were talking about films and and scripts and writing things because uh, he obviously directs and yeah. does does all of his film stuff as well as comedy stuff. And I was saying, you know, I really want to write this sitcom and, and we were chatting about it. And then he was like, we just need to do it. And I was like, no, I know, yeah, yeah. So then we didn't talk about it again. And then we got to the airport to fly home and we were sat on opposite window seats. So he, so he then leant over just before the plane took off and yeah. he said, um, write it, put it in a drawer, mm-hmm. leave it for six weeks, come back to it, that's your first draft. Mm-hmm. rewrite it mm-hmm. put it in a drawer for six weeks that's your second draft yep. and he was like um you know there you go and I was like but I, and before I could ask another question he popped his headphones back in and reclined his seat and just closed his eyes I was like that's actually probably an incredible mm. uh, incredible, writing like, masterclass I've just been given there's actually a novel uh well it's more of a how-to book by, in the woods by Stephen King oh of all people, yeah called yeah. on writing yeah and it's a it's basically a very basic non kind of snobby take on how to write a novel mm-hmm. and that's exactly what he says he yeah. says write it put it in a drawer and leave it yeah i wrote a novel this year and i put it in a drawer and it was so fucking hard to put it in the drawer was, <laughs> was it hard like, it was hard to put it in the drawer not hard yes, to write it, was hard. It. it was hard not to reach for it and read yeah. it all the time i got about a month in and then i had to take it out and read it and and what was it like once you'd read it uh, was it as you remembered because i bet it wasn't it was so different yeah and then i wrote the second draft based on all the stuff that i should have written the first time uh, but th- what's so helpful about the Stephen King book is that he's it's su- such a how-to. So he shows you um, a piece of work before an edit and after an edit, shows you all the things he's done, talks about... Because it's really practical. It's so practical. It's so helpful. Yeah. Uh, like, And he talked about how he um, starts a novel. And this made me feel so happy because... I've never, I've always wanted to write a book and I've never done it because I've, I've never had, I'm the most impulsive, impatient person and I've never been able to take the time to sit and figure out an entire narrative. Sure. Like I didn't know what the end was going to be. So how on earth should I start it? Yeah. But his thing was like, no, 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 just start it. So have a scene in your head and like think there's a woman in a room. She's a nurse. She's nursing someone. Can I write this down? This is good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> is this and taken he or? genuinely started with that for a misery he started with a woman like a nurse nursing yeah, it's taken and, famously and, yeah, it's taken yeah. and then he and then he just expanded and then she Break became knees from, yeah, yeah get the sledgehammer <laughs> out 
But yeah, it was just so like, oh, fuck. Okay, so you don't have to like have it all done in your head. You can just write. Yeah, that's so freeing, isn't it? And there's something so liberating about actually this stuff is coming out of you. This stuff that's in your head in the moment. And then you go back and read it and it's like, whoa, that just came out of me. Yeah. That's what just. And you don't recognize it because that's actually maybe what happens when we do the improvising. Yeah. You don't don't kind of recognize that that has come from you when you listen back or watch back or whatever. Mm. I mean, sometimes it's because I actually have just claimed a joke that wasn't mine. I'm like, God, that was funny. (laughs) And James is like, that was me. I'm like, no, I think it was me. That's really, really quite smart. I didn't even know I knew that word. That's weird. Um, It's funny you say Stephen King because Rocky Flintstone. uh, Does he love a bit of Stephen King? Stephen, Steph King, as he calls him, um, is one of his, one of his faves. I wonder if he's read that. He might have. Yeah. Mind you, having listened to his I writing, don't, I don't think he has. He's not necessarily yet. applied it effectively. Stephen King is very against um, too like too much description. Yeah. He's like, you know, don't be afraid to say they said, rather than they shouted really loudly. <laughs> Great description. It's just they said. <laughs> he said. She said. Yeah. It's not a crime. Yeah. Mm. Go, Steph. Hey, um, can we talk about Julia Davis? Yeah, go on. So she said, well, first of all, tell me why she's amazing. For those who don't know her work. Yeah, well, I think um, a few a few things that are brilliant if people haven't seen Human Remains, which is what she did with mm, Rob Brydon. So fantastic. Uh, which are just little vignettes about um, different couples, um, which is all improvised. There's an amazing thing on YouTube, actually, which is, I don't know how long it is, but it's one of their little improv sessions that you can watch ah. that is kind of, th- that sees, the, so you can see the background before they mm. sort of locked in on particular characters, but they're just sat on the sofa, um, camera in front of them, chatting it through and it's brilliant. Um, and obviously Nighty Night is probably the thing yeah. that people would maybe know best, um, which is so dark and, and her so own funny. Creation. Her yeah. own creation, she um, wrote it, she stars in it. Um, and it's really twisted and really left of center and it's strange. It's so dark. It it's is. kind of very sociopathic. Like it's it's like incredibly dark. Yeah. And I like I wonder if in this day and age whether she can I mean she recently had one, didn't she? A new one. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, she did Sally Forever, yeah. Sally Forever, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I feel like for her it might be harder and harder to do in in a sad way to do the comedy that she does, which is so fucking dark and twisted and sometimes controversial. Well, I guess the, the podcast, Dear Joan and Jerrica, is, 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 the greatest. is yeah. really edgy. Um, and maybe that's why it's a podcast. And maybe there's not opportunity on television to do that kind of long yeah. form improv like that. Podcasts seem like the best place for women who aspire to be in comedy in terms of complete democracy. Yeah, and I think maybe you don't have to fit into a mold. I mean, there aren't on television, there aren't that many places for comedy full stop. Then there aren't that many places to do, mm. you know, your own particular brand of comedy. And then maybe there aren't that many places for female comedy, mm. you know, like we've talked about mm. the panel show thing. I mean, there was that whole quota thing, you know, we have to have at least yeah. one woman or whatever it was, which just seems, you know, ridiculous. It does. But, um, you know, in, in podcasts, there kind of aren't any of those traditional requirements so you can mm. make what you want it can be as long as you want you can do it as frequently as mm. you want so yeah that I mean that's definitely how we came to it and I think we thought this is never a show that would be on television mm. I mean partly because I actually don't think one HBO special later guilty as charged <laughs>
I love I love what she said about how that podcast started, which was I think her parents or she had a, she suffered a, a, a like a bereavement in mm. her family, and her busy mate um, just came over to her house and they were like, well, let's just do something that's going to yeah. make us laugh. It's like coming from the best possible authentic place. Yeah, like, I need comedy. I need to feel brighter. And you can feel that they're. I mean, we're kind of gone we're back to the about beginning. Dear Joan and Jericho, by the Dear way. Dear Joan and Jericho yeah. is fantastic. I, the first series is just the most perfect thing, mm. isn't it? Um, yeah, I think that's that that thing that we touched on at the beginning. You can hear what a good time they're having. I mean, you can hear the wobble in their voices, like that yeah. they're really making each other laugh. And, you know, Vicky is just hilarious. But they obviously find each other. It's that, again, yeah. that French and Saunders thing. Like yeah. they just love being in each other's company. Yeah. And I think that that's why we have done as many of Rocky's books as we have. And believe me, there are many more and I <laughs> think we will quit before he quits. Um, but you know, we really like doing it. Yeah. And I think if it was a chore or if, you know, we had a traditional broadcast commission where they were like, you have to do 12 episodes in the series. Mm. I think you would lose a bit of that magic. Mm. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes I'm sure they don't want to come around to my house and sit next to my boiler and <laughs> you know, read Jamie's dad's porn. They'd rather be on a date or at the cinema or doing whatever. <laughs> but we always have a good time. There's never, yeah. we never come out of, you know, my my kitchen or whatever and aren't in a better mood because mm. it is just a really nice experience. So mm. yeah, I think I think it feels intimate because it is intimate. Mm. You know, this is, this is way more intimate than any radio we do, isn't it? Mm, you know, totally. we've got Joel hunched over having heart attack every time somebody presses the button on the lift. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, usually, and oh my God, that, that motorbike. is just showing off. He's going to jump uh-huh. out of the window now. But um, yeah, all of these things take huge teams of people. And this mm. is sort of a different endeavor, isn't it? I'm still learning, to be honest. I'm like, I'm, I'm finding the whole thing. I feel a bit like... Like when I jumped in the lake and I feel a bit like I've got nothing to hold on to. Where's the boundaries? I don't know. where. Did, what are the rules here? Yeah. And it's taken me now, like at the very end of this second series, to actually like relax and just tread water. I, I can keep this metaphor going. Yeah, I know. I, I was really um, impressed. I was like, well, how, where else can she go? <laughs> then we're going to float in the next series. But yeah, just the idea of like, there is no rules. I'm used to coming from the most regimented place, um, which works for that. You know, the, you know, the, the medium of music radio is very, it is what it is. It's selling music, it's playing music, it's sharing music. But just to talk about anything for any amount of time in any way, shape or form, it's kind of overwhelmingly. But I'm so bad at that. I mean, I know I do radio and I know I do radio where there's talking, yeah. but I find the limitlessness of that sometimes and it's yeah. not limitless as we know you know if yeah. you wang on for too long you totally get the um the the finger waggle in the air telling yeah. you to wrap it up but I sometimes hear myself on radio one and I'm just like shut up <laughs> shut up no no what are you talking <laughs> about and actually when we record the podcast I sometimes say like for Jamie in the edit shut up like just yeah. just cut this bit out it's just shit yeah and I but I have that voice in my head on radio yeah and Dev that I do the radio show yeah. with, he always gives that analogy, you know, which it's not Roadrunner, it's Wiley Coyote, isn't it? That runs yeah, yeah. out. And as, as soon as he realizes he's just in air, he drops out of the sky. Yeah. I feel like as soon as I become aware, <laughs> so self-aware that I'm doing a story or doing a bit, I'm yeah. like, and then yeah. they went home for tea. Okay, here's Calvin Harris. Like I just, I have to just, pre- I, I kind of yeah. have to roll my eyes back in my head and pretend I'm somewhere else because, yeah. I mean, it's it's like losing somebody when you're chatting to new people and you're telling them a story and people peel off because oh, you've course. lost them. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I can see people doing that mm. with, in my mind, people are going, 
and just like mm-hmm. switching the radio off. It's like one when you're DJing and there's three people in the front row on their phones. It's <laughs> oh, like, so destroying. Yeah, just put them away. Or, you know, like I remember Sarah Cox actually saying when I first started at Radio One, I went for a coffee with her and I didn't know her, but yeah. I just really admired yeah. her. And one of the things that she said was, you know, um, know what you need. Like, be feel confident to yeah. say, "Oh, I need you to not be." Sarah's good at that. She likes people, or, she likes eye contact. So, so do mm. I. Mm. But then, <laughs> I think sometimes I I get too many, I get too meta, and I'm like, "But I've told them that I need eye contact, so they're giving me eye contact because I've told them to." But not, and I've not told them to smile, and like, are they just smiling because they feel sorry for me because <laughs> I've told them that I need them to laugh at my joke? But like, now they're just going to laugh, and like, now I don't really know if it's funny at all because they're going to laugh because I've asked them to. But actually, what does it mean? Like, <laughs> So that's generally what is going on in my head at all yeah. times. Yeah. But I'm potentially an overthinker. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Dev once said to me, which has never left me, he was like, all of your stories start way too early. As in like, I go back to like, I was born on a sunny day in 1986. He's like, you don't need that bit. This just, just happened on Tuesday. To, just go to Tuesday. The punchline. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, you have about like six minutes of preamble to run up to it. Yeah. And I and that's so true. Yeah. And also I kind of know what that is. That's, that's sort of me finding my feet. Mm. Um, but as soon as he said that, you know, now, I'd, are you super conscious of, of it? Of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been kind of life altering, but um, I think I used to be really self-conscious about telling the same story more than once as well, mm. which you kind of can't be in radio because oh God, no. you just never have- You just bank it for the next I time mean, it feels right. Otherwise you'd be having to like jump out of an aeroplane twice a day yeah. to have stories. I mean- It's like when, when Grimmy used to do the breakfast show and every time I hung out with him, I just felt like, oh, this is an anecdote. <laughs> I know I'm going to hear this next Wednesday at 7.55. And there it is. It's like yeah. life becomes churned yeah. out through radio links. Yeah, I because guess. Because you have to have it's stuff inevitable. to talk about. Yeah, yeah. totally. And, and also I think you have to see, I mean, you have to see something extraordinary in the ordinary. And sometimes it is just ordinary. Mm. So sometimes you're like, okay, I think, I've, I think there's something funny in this. And you start telling it and you're like, no, it was just a post office queue, <laughs> but it's kind of too late now. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it takes a lot to make that funny. And Not always funny. Sometimes just a post office queue. Sometimes you're just going, it's in a post office queue today. Uh, what do you think, guys? 81199? Have you done that? Have you ever been ever been in a queue? Uh, today okay. we're talking about queues. Text in now. <laughs> and often they don't. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about moving forward. So my dad wrote porn is not going anywhere, apart from fucking Radio City Musical. Yeah, so mainly away next year doing live things. Um, we're just, I'm not sure when this, when does this go out? Next week. 
We like oh to gosh, you're very it. reactive. Yeah. So we're just coming to the end of our fifth series. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure Rocky will God, have is something. is only five? I know it's dragged, hasn't it? Yeah. No, it no, really no. Has. It feels like, it feels like, <laughs> because it just feels like, so you do one series a year. Kind yeah. Of okay. Yeah. How many apps? Our work ethic is appalling. Um, it depends how many chapters are in his novel. Yeah, yeah. I hate to call it a novel. Um, <laughs> usually between like 12 and 14 is kind of... Yeah how many yes, he does that's but, a lot, yeah. and then we have guests in between so yeah about yeah. 20 something episodes wow. a series yeah wow okay that's loads yeah um okay so that all next year that all next year and then when are we going to see this sitcom when's it going to get in the so drawer? wait so i need to write it put in a drawer six yeah, weeks yeah get it out put a drawer surely six you'll weeks, have loads so. of time on airplanes get get cracking oh man but i don't divvy my time the way you do i like on an airplane i need at least an hour staring into space wow I'm in awe of that. <laughs> I mean, not literally. I have to schedule space. that in. Um, <laughs> I'm joking, you, of course. No, you're not. Um, do you do you watch films on planes? No, you do. Yeah, stuff. and you I do. weep. I love it. It's yeah. like I love watching films on planes because yeah. I never really get to do it. It's very life. cathartic. The yeah. crying bit. No, you're right. You're right. It is definitely good just to chill out on planes. Definitely. I mean, they're long planes, though. Yeah. I mean, it's 24 hours to Australia. I mean, within that, I've got you know, even if I stared in space for four Correct. hours, I've got a lot spare. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, you're right. I totally should. And I should do the Stephen King. I should just do the the nurse in a room bit first. Yeah. I I'm not you, actually going to do the nurse you, in a room I know what you like. I bet you have ideas already and you have people and things that you want to get But sometimes I really feel like all I have in my head is what I can see. So sometimes I'm like... Yeah, but that's what, that's what everyone says. Irish just write what radio you see. Presenter. <laughs> I just, I just, I, Listen, I'm happy to be... To Will you be my muse? Oh, fine. That's what I loved about Sharon Organ because she was like, obviously I like put myself forward to star in my own sitcom because no one else was going to. Yeah. And I think there has to be kind of a real ballsy, um, for want of a better word, titsy, I don't know, like yeah. gusto if you're going to do this and be like, okay, no one's going to pluck me out of the wilderness and be like, you should write a sitcom. Yeah. It's, do you have to do it and put it in front of people's faces and be like, and by the way, I can act, so. And that was what the podcast was, I think. Yeah. I was definitely, you know, I remember saying to Jamie, can I, when he first read it to us, can I have this and go and do a one woman show with it? And he yeah. was like, yeah, do what you want. And then we all kind of decided that that was um, completely self-interested and it would make <laughs> way more sense if he was reading his dad's porn. But you know, it, yeah. it, initially it was just, it was a vehicle for us to be funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you're totally right. And it's kind of, when I was listening to the Sharon episode, I thought, yeah, that's that same thing where you have to create something a space mm. whatever it is a, a vehicle that lets you do the things you want to do mm. because I think for so long I just got offered presenting gigs where I was just stood next to a guy laughing at what he said basically for like the first five years of mm-hmm. being a presenter I felt like that was all the jobs mm-hmm. um or just kind of reading other people's words mm-hmm. and I didn't really want to do that I mean like all of that is good I think good practice and is good mm grounding but you get to a point where you think like i want to do the jokes and i mm. kind of want to write the jokes and also i maybe i want to direct the jokes <laughs> yeah As sharon said there's not a lot of money in it but if you want it you could <laughs> if you've got the inclination sure yeah, um yeah. but it, it yeah it's a. Uh, I don't know if you find it with with music projects but so often they don't you know, the things that I get offered don't satisfy all the things that I want to do. So it kind of is easier to be a control freak and mm. 
come up with all the things, you know, come totally. up with a concept or totally. have a hand in lots of the different parts. Also, of I think there's, there's, it's easy for people to have perceptions of you and who you are. And I think if you'd always worked in comedy and always worked in stand-up comedy, then it would feel easier for people. But because you do music radio, people are like, well, maybe she wants to be a presenter. It's hard. Like, I find that people put me in the music box all the time and yeah. don't really think of me as anything beyond that. Yeah. But I'm like, I'd love to talk about other things. Yeah, totally. And, and do other things and write and do all that stuff. So sometimes you have to help people to see that you can be. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, when I see people who are comedians, funny women talking about what they do, I always think, oh, but you're like intrinsically funny. Like when you hear Vicky Pepperdine talk, she's yeah. just a funny person yeah. or Natasha Dimitriou or, you know, whoever it is, mm. you're like, you're just, you've got funny bones. Mm. So I sometimes think, labeling yourself as funny there's this like pressure where you feel like oh no people are going to mm. expect everything you say to be mm. a gag mm. and yeah i do yeah, but everything you say is a gag you don't even know it you well, just that, well that one didn't laugh <laughs> <laughs> cheers guys okay but you like honestly every time i see you or speak to you you just it just it's in you well, i don't think you realize it you're one of those people you're a funny oh, person man. fucking deal with it alice oh, you're geez. funny yeah fuck off annie <laughs> Okay, we'll do this this time next year. <laughs> I think we say this time next week. I was like, it has actually been quite, yeah, I it's good for my ego. I want you to do, uh, I want you by this time next year to deliver a draft too. Okay? Okay. There's plenty of time. Great, thanks. If I can write a novel in a year, you this can is fucking the kind write of, a sitcom, okay? This is okay? the kind of thing that definitely triggers anxiety dreams. <laughs> I'm going to be like, oh, Max said I had to write a sitcom by now. And it's also the kind of thing that you will forget you said to me, but I will think about for the next year. Honestly, I'll, I wouldn't expect if my eyebrows are falling out by next week. Really stressful. Thank you. Just do it. I hate long Richard, deadlines. Richard said it. Richard said it. Well, then don't do a long deadline. Just do it. Start it this week. Oh my God, I've become a real bully. I'm so sorry. I've, like I've invited you in here and now I'm just- I'm doing you a favor. <laughs> I'm shouting at you, telling you to write a I sitcom. That it was really, it was like soft touch and that's really tough love. Damn. Does each episode end with a sort of- <laughs> A declaration. <laughs> exactly. Hey, um, thank you so much. Annie, I promise I won't shout at you next time. Always a pleasure. This is the longest I've seen you sit in one place at one time. <laughs> Scheduled. <laughs> Thank you, Alice Levine. Oh my God, I'm such a bossy boots. Jesus, normally I only get like that when I'm drunk and I didn't even have a drink. So um, apologies to Alice Levine there. I hope her eyebrows don't really fall out or whatever she said. Um, and maybe we will have to do it in a year to see if she actually did write that sitcom. So um, that is it for this week and nearly for this entire series. Remember, if you have anything you want to say, the email address is findingannymac at gmail.com. Anything you want to say about comedy, about women in comedy, about anything that me and Alice spoke about tonight, it would be very uh, welcome and I'd love to hear your views. So we're ending the series with a bang, uh, a very fun and loud bang in the shape of a conversation with Rylan Clark Neal. Uh, you will probably know Rylan as the guy uh, that started out on The X Factor, uh, who later won Celebrity Big Brother 11 and has now kind of gone from being the butt of the joke 
to the guy who is most definitely laughing uh, from a wonderful place in his career. He's got a mainstream primetime show on Radio 2, the biggest radio station in the country. He is hosting some of the biggest shows on the television um, and he is just a very, very inspiring man with a lot of depth and um I want to talk to him about loads of things next week. I'm I'm really excited to talk to him about his past and how he's kind of turned the perception of him around and what he's had to go through personally and mentally uh, in his career, those kind of battles and grapples with his own self-worth to get to the point where he is today. So I'm hoping it will be a very inspiring and probably hilarious because it's a Ryland conversation and I can't wait for you to hear it. See you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 